It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's a mailbag day. I've got questions about the defense, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, injuries, and even my favorite city. It's a Tuesday Locked On Celtics podcast. Millie's, let's go! I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. I'm on mama. I'm on my baby, ma. Anything's possible. Rainy Jays back with the vengeance back. All the real Celtics fans in attendance. This the truth like 34. This like walking in the garden when you hear the roars. The crowd goes crazy. Most in-depth coverage on the daily. Mainly podcast royalty, the content kings. When you talking about the franchise with 17 rings. Focus like Danny at the deadline. Global with it got a local feel like the red line, the blue line, the green line. Play it in between time. I'ma throw my C's jersey on in the meantime and press play. When the F's done, I can't wait until the next day. Trying to stay in tune with the C's, it's the best way. Melly. I put out the call for questions, and you guys delivered in a big way. So I want to thank you right up front for all of these questions. This entire half hour is going to be answers to your questions about the Boston Celtics. You can always follow the Locked On Celtics Twitter, at LO Celtics. Send a question that way, or find me on Twitter, at Reds Army underscore John. I'm John Corrales, by the way, if you don't know me. I cover the team for MassLive.com. Follow my stuff at MassLive.com slash Celtics. All of my written work. Uh, follow Tom Westerholm as well there. And I uh, hope you enjoy the coverage. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Subscribe if you're a new listener. Or listen to the whole show and decide at the end. I'm confident that you will subscribe. So, with that, let's get to the questions. From let's start with uh, at real hefe twenty three. When would Hay- Hayward be back? It's a good question. Don't know, but he does seem to be progressing. He had a doctor's appointment, I guess today, uh, Monday, and we're going to find out at practice on Tuesday what the result of that was. He seems to be ahead of schedule. I've always been saying it's probably going to be on the shorter end of the four to six weeks. They came out and said six weeks initially. I think it's going to be uh, closer to four. So that would put him back somewhere next week. This Saturday coming is the four weeks since the injury. Uh, They had the surgery a couple days later. That would be the ninth. And so he could miss that Cleveland game. His first game back might be in that Indiana-Philly back-to-back. So... Uh, one of those two games might be the target at the latest. And this is just my guess. I'm going to say that 18th game against Dallas. So I really only think he's going to miss a few more games, which is good news because the Celtics could really use him back. Moving on to Michaela at title city, Boston. What's the one thing the Celtics are having a tough time with that you didn't expect that's an excellent question. I've been struggling. I've been looking at this question for a while now. And and I don't know because their their tough time right now is dealing with the the perimeter defense and and I guess that would be my answer that I didn't think that they would struggle uh with the three-point defense. Although that's more of a recent thing. Uh I didn't think it would take this long for uh, Grant Williams to hit a three. 
that's something that I didn't expect. Um, everything else there, there hasn't been, uh, a real outlier of like, wow, I didn't expect them to be having a problem with that. Uh, in, in fact, it'd be the other thing. I didn't expect them to be doing so well with the center spot there. I didn't think that their bench production would be particularly great. Um, but if I had to boil it down and I'm going to fold in this, this question from at Farsandian and, uh, at Keith is Batman one. Oh my God. Keith is Batman. Huh? I wouldn't have guessed that it was Keith. The questions from uh, at Farzandian, what's with the perimeter defense or lack thereof? Why are they giving up so many open looks from three as of late? And then Keith's question, uh, what? so what do you think is the reason uh, the Celtics have been so weak at defending the rim the last few games? So thanks for that question, Batman. Uh, I think all of this folds into together. So my... I always thought, and everybody always thought, it wasn't an original thought, that the Celtics would have problems with their with their defense. Uh, and uh, they that's proven to be kind of, they've been pretty decent defensively up until recently. And I do think all of it is tied together. Because the perimeter defense and why they give up so many open threes, they have been kind of weak at the point of attack. They haven't put a lot of ball pressure on anybody. If you go back to the Brooklyn game, Spencer Dinwiddie kind of went wherever he wanted on the floor. There was no real um, no real obstacle in front of him. The Celtics didn't get up in his airspace. The Celtics didn't really make it difficult and, and try to force him where they wanted him to go. And same thing happened with Buddy Heald. Same thing happened with, uh, you know, pick a guy that, that's gone off on the Celtics. And uh, I think... That and let me let me actually include this from Christopher Hood. Uh, C seem to give up big nights to individuals, but still win. Is this a consequence of defensive style switching everything? Take away the larger takes away the larger offense, but a guy can go off. the The Celtics have been allowing guys to go off because they haven't been kind of really pressuring. The ball. They haven't been getting up into people's bodies, and that just allows guys to get comfortable. And when you when you got a guy that's good like Spencer Dinwiddie, he's good. Uh, you get a guy like Buddy Heald, who's a really good scorer, really good shooter. When you make things comfortable for them, they can start to feel that confidence. And I can tell you that once that confidence is flowing, then the tough shots get easier. It's not as difficult to make some of those shots when, when everything feels good coming off your hands, man, you can just pull up from anywhere. It feels like, and, and guys can start going off. So that's why individuals have been going off. I think they, they've given up big nights to individuals because they haven't impeded their progress at all. It even happened with Julius Randall. Julius Randall kind of bowled his way to the basket a lot. And there was no one that kind of was able to, get in his way and and stop him from getting to these. And I know he's a big, strong guy, but there had to be uh, ways for them to to kind of slow him down. And you could hear Brad Stevens call for double teams, and the Celtics were slow on those double teams. So he's just been sloppy. Uh, and though, so that goes into the perimeter defense. But then the perimeter defense affects 
the rim defense because the guys on the perimeter, and you might have heard me say this on a podcast before, but the guys on the perimeter, if they're letting guys get past them, then who has to step up? It's Daniel Tice. It's Biggs that have to step up and kind of try to stop someone from getting all the way to the rim. Well, if the big is stepping up and no one's rotating behind him, then that allows for easy baskets. The alley-oops in Brooklyn that were just destroying the Celtics. And, and I've broken that down before on Mass Live and here. When you're a point guard and you're driving the lane on a pick and roll and you see that big square up to you and take a step forward like Daniel Tice had to do and just be completely committed to, oh shit, here comes the guard and I need to protect this rim and this is the immediate threat. Well, if no one on the backside is checking that roll, man, so uh, Jared Allen sets the pick, rolls to the basket, somebody on that other side needs to come in and just bump them, all right, tag them. Do something that throws off the timing because, and you'll see it sometimes, watch a pick and roll and and watch the guy on the opposite side. So if Dinwiddie or whomever the point guard is, uses the pick and say he goes left, watch the guys on the perimeter on the right side. They'll dive down. They should be diving down to tag the roll man to, and literally physically touch him, tag him to throw off his, his, timing to get to the rim because all it takes is just getting him to slot stop slow down for like a second a point guard coming off and seeing that big staring at him in the face totally squared up to him that's the sign to let that alley-oop go so Dinwiddie comes off poor pick and roll coverage no pressure kind of goes where he wants to go now Daniel Tice is stepping up and Dinwiddie knows I'm launching this sucker up to the rim because I've got either DeAndre Jordan or Jared Allen, and they're two pogo sticks that can go up there and get this thing. And they did, multiple times. So the Celtics, not doing their job on the perimeter, stopping Dinwiddie, not helping the big when he's trying to help them, and that that really is a breakdown at both ends. So Dinwiddie can hit a three, or he can continue going and he can dump it off. Uh, the Celtics basically have been playing poor defense all around. And and like I said in yesterday's podcast, I think part of it is Marcus Smart and his nagging injuries. I think that's kind of boiled this whole thing down to if Marcus Smart isn't out there doing all of these crazy things, then the rest of the Celtics defense isn't going to quite follow suit. They, they follow Marcus Smart's lead. And if he's having an off night, then it feels like the whole defense is having an off night because he is the one that, like, he's the gasoline in that engine. You know what I mean? So he he needs to make the whole thing go. Part of why I, I'm kind of looking forward to Marcus Smart taking a couple of days off, I, I wouldn't mind seeing how these guys respond and drawing their own energy and drawing their own kind of inspiration defensively. So I'm kind of curious to see how that goes. But those are the answers to the defensive questions. That's what I think is happening with the Celtics defensively. I got a question about Marcus Smart and his injury and what happens if he misses time. Speaking of Smart, I'm going to do that next on the Locked On Celtics podcast. 
NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. A couple of Tremont Waters questions. Tremont Waters, by the way, congratulations, G League Player of the Month. Old School Shoes asks, if Smart misses time, do you think they call up Tremont Waters again? Yeah, I think they would. Uh, they need some ball handling, and I think they he's shown that he can run an offense. And he's got the confidence to do it. He's proven he can do it a little bit here uh, at the NBA level. I think they're going to give it a shot. And if if it doesn't work, then they can just always send him back down. But I think that's going to be their first option. You're going to see Brad Wanamaker, who's been solid, get a ton of minutes. And I think uh, Waters will get his opportunity against second units for sure. And at C Pendleton 21 asks, do you think Tremont's game would help the Celtics more than Carson's right now, Carson Edwards? And if so, is there a way to switch their contracts? No, there is not a way to switch their contracts. Uh, Carson Edwards has a guaranteed contract, and that's ironclad. Now, he can go to the G League. You can send him to the G League, no problem, but he can't be transferred to a two-way deal. That's he, He's got a guaranteed contract. If the Celtics were, let's just hypothetically, because this won't happen, but th- they would have to cut Carson Edwards and re-sign him to a two-way deal. And so he would get all of the money the Celtics owe him and then be on a two-way deal. Uh, and that that's just not how it's going to work. They, they wouldn't do that. And um, But Tremont's game kind of would help the Celtics right now because he's just, he's got control of the game. Like his, he can do other things than that Carson just can't do right now. Carson needs to be a shooter, and if he can't hit shots, then his effectiveness is really, really limited. So I think Tremont, right now, his passing, his ability to to, to get into spaces where he wants to get, 
and his ability to run an offense, I think that works. But the Celtics can't burn all of his his days. They want to make sure that he gets his 45 days with the big club. But um, I don't think that they're going to really – I think they just want to get Carson right. And like I said, Carson should go to the G League, get some of that um, – Get some reps, get some confidence back. In in the same vein as talking about these guys off of the bench, at Dalapis wants to know, do you think the Seas will try to add a veteran bench piece at some point? They're not getting much out of Carson Edwards, Grant Williams currently offensively. Well, one of the things I said yesterday, and I think it, you know, we'll see if it if it holds true, when the Celtics are healthy and they have uh, Gordon Hayward and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and uh, Kemba Walker, when they have all of those guys, they have the option of putting basically two of those guys on the floor with bench players, and that would help a lot because they draw so much attention that I think that'll help raise the game of some of these bench guys. I think the Celtics are going to kind of see how that goes. Could they add a veteran piece at some point? Sure. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Um Maybe if uh, Poirier doesn't work out, then they try to use him in a deal and trade him. Uh, if if somebody else, uh, maybe Shemi Ojale, if they decide that Shemi just isn't going to be, although he's been playing better lately, uh, but he's a he's a guy that you can throw into a deal that he's got a non guaranteed uh, year next year, so. Uh, it would be money off of a team's books if they don't want him, or he's a young player that maybe in a different situation could get more opportunity. But uh, or the Celtics could just end up cutting somebody and adding a veteran piece at some point. It's possible. Um, I'm not. I don't think they're, the Celtics are going to go too crazy with that, but um, they're not going to do uh, something big and trades for somebody big. But maybe they scan the buyout market and they say thanks. Poirier, but you know, it's not working out for us, and we're going to go a different direction. And you got a guy that's sitting there as a, a DNP most nights. I know it's big man depth, quote unquote, but it, they're not using him. So I, I could see, I could see something like that happening um, down the line. But I can also see the Celtics standing pat. So that's that's a non-answer. It's possible, <laughs> I guess. Uh, at Mr. Hojo 19, what's up with these slow starts to every game? I wish I knew. I really do. I wish I knew because it's it's frustrating to watch these guys start slow. Um, I don't know. It's a feeling out process. I think sometimes maybe some guys are just trying to see uh, what's working for them. I, I don't. I don't know. Uh, it's it's kind of frustrating uh, for everybody. Uh, I don't know why Kemba isn't hitting shots right away. Maybe why does he usually wait till the fourth quarter? I, I don't know. Uh, it would be nice to come out and and start pretty well. And the Celtics didn't start too poorly against the Knicks, um, but it's the Knicks. So uh, and they also gave up a bunch of points. So um, I, I don't I don't have an answer. I wish I had an answer. If I had an answer for that, maybe I'd work for the Celtics uh, instead of covering the Celtics, but. It's, I think it's mostly a mental thing, you know, and, and at Dino LaFrance asked the same questions, feels like, you know, what's up to the slow starts, uh, in these games. Uh, it's been a lot of roster turnover, but no real change, um, 
in that area, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it'd be beneficial for the Celtics to really focus on their defense early on. I think that'll be, uh, if, if they can force turnovers, get, get running and get into transition, I think that'd help. But, um, yeah, I, I, I it's, it's tough. It's kind of perplexing and I don't have a real answer. I should shout out uh, at Bleed Green 36 who asked, do you see the C's making any trades this season? Part of me wants it to happen, uh, not getting rid of any of our core because it feels like we need more consistency off the, consistency off the bench. Um, I, I just did kind of answer that question, but I want to make sure that, that uh, you get that shout out. Moving on, uh, at KOTW Origins, is it realistic to have Jalen and Tatum and Kemba average 20 with Gordo by the end of the season? I don't think you're going to have four guys averaging 20, but they'll they'll be close. I, I think Kemba and Tatum could both be over 20, and I think Gordon and Jalen will be kind of close, 18, 19, somewhere in that range. But yeah, those are the four guys that are going to score, right? So, I mean, maybe they will all average over 20, but that means that the bench is going to average like nothing, and they're going to be doing the bulk of the scoring. Really... If there are no trades, and, and again, I don't expect a, anything big if there is one, they're not gonna they're not gonna bring in Lou Williams. They're not gonna bring in a, another 20 point scorer off the bench. They just kind of need these bench guys, whomever it is, if it's the rookies, if it's smart that's off the bench, they just kind of need them to, to chip in like eight, nine points here and there. Uh, Ennis Cantor, just come in, get a few offensive rebounds, you drop 10, that's fine. Those guys, then you've got a a real potent offense. But if you're running Tatum and Brown, let's just say you you take those two guys out uh, early in the first quarter and you bring them back in the to to finish up the first quarter and start the second quarter, they're going to be doing the bulk of the scoring with the bench unit. So who knows? Maybe maybe they do all get to about twenty. Uh, I think that would bring Kemba's average down a little bit. Like he's not going to be up around 25. He'll be down close to 20, but the Celtics are top heavy when it comes to the scoring. So they could maybe uh, some by the end of the season that that that's how it would be. Those four guys average 80 points and the bench puts together 30 somehow and you average 110 a game and you have a, a potent offense and you do it that way what will grant williams three point percentage be at the end of the season that's from at teeps 34 and i'm going to answer that when we come back on the lockdown Celtics podcast Follow us on our social channels at LO Celtics on Twitter and at Lockdown Celtics on Instagram. Before the break, I posed the question from Teeps34 on Twitter what will Grant Williams' three point percentage be at the end of the season? And I think he can get it up to about, I think he can get it close to 30% before the end of the season. Let's keep in mind here that he's played 18 games and he's missed, he's 0 for 22. Okay. That sucks. 0 for 22. But 
I've seen him shoot. I've seen him shoot in warmups. He can hit them. He definitely can hit them. And as long as he takes them with confidence, they'll start to fall. And yeah, over 22, but also 22 is not a lot of shots. And if he starts hitting at a decent clip, if he can start hitting a few here and there, I feel like once he hits one, they'll start to the fall a little bit more. And then by the time the season ends, I mean, he, there's still 60 plus games to play. And I think if he hits one or two here and there, he can start getting that percentage up. And because he's only taken 22 threes, Everyone he hits, I mean, the percentage is going to go up pretty quickly. It's a small sample size. So the percentage can go up quickly. So I think he can get himself up to about um, to about 30. I'm going to say 30. I'm going to be optimistic. At Prof Chop, ooh, got a couple of questions from you. Uh, does Rob Williams need more time to understand the defensive system and which rotations to make, or is it a concentration issue? Great athleticism comes up, covers up some pretty bad lapses out there. And production for him will be clutch as the Seas try to contend for a title this season. I think concentration is more more like it. I don't think he's. Um, I don't think he doesn't get it. I don't think it's hard for him to pick up what he's supposed to do. I think it's hard for him to keep the focus and keep doing what he's supposed to do. And that's that's a big thing. I'm sure he's, there are things that he's still learning because it's only his second year. So. He does have plenty to learn as well. Like, so he does also need more time, but it's, I think it's more concentration than anything. I think it's more focus than anything with him that he just needs, whatever it is, he needs to get his mind right and in the moment and not kind of fall back on some of the old habits of trying to use his, his athleticism before he uses his fundamentals. And that's, it's fundamentals first. It's it's like I always was taught when uh, in those basketball camps growing up where the coaches would say, you want to make the behind-the-back passes, the fancy passes, well, you got to make sure you know how to throw a regular bounce pass first. And it's not until you get those fundamental plays down that you can get the great plays to follow. So he needs to get his fundamentals down, and I think that's a mental thing. Um, at more from Prof Chop. Uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, the next Kawhi and PG. Both guys are playing well on both sides of the ball and contending for all-star nods this season. Is it possible they could reach? Uh, is this a possible level they could reach as players in the NBA? I mean, possible? Maybe. But, I mean, those Kawhi and Paul George are just so awesome that I'm not going to say that that's going to be where these guys go. But, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's not possible either. But Kawhi and Paul George are special players. So I want to say, like, no, of course not. Because you can't just predict these guys being this special. But they they were both kind of later bloomers in, in, in the league. Like, Kawhi was always kind of – he was good, but he, he didn't develop into this, like, super, superstar – Till you know, a few years in. So, I mean, I can't, I can't rule it out. Statistically, I can't rule it out. And there's certainly a way that both guys can unlock certain parts of their game to make them 
multiple time all stars. So maybe not exactly Kawhi and Paul George. Uh, I think that's ambitious, but can Tatum and Brown be multiple time all stars? Yeah, they can be. So whatever they end up becoming, they become, um, but I think they can both be very good. Now, at Mentis Celtics asks, do you think Jalen and Jason games sometimes overlap each other? It seems like this season there are stretches where each of them perform better when the other is on the bench. I mean, they are both wing players, um, but I, I I don't know that there's – I don't think one's game takes away from the other, but – Sure, if one of those guys is on the bench and the other guy gets a little bit more opportunity, it would stand to reason that they they perform a little bit better when they're, especially with the Hayward injury, if Jalen or Jason is is one of the only star players out there, then yeah, they're going to perform a little bit more. I don't know that there's there's overlap necessarily. I think there's if the ball moves, then each guy's going to get plenty of opportunity. Uh, it's when the ball doesn't move uh, that becomes an issue. And in that case, Tatum definitely has the ball more in his hands and is is trying to create more of his own shot than Jalen is. So that might be what you're seeing. But the ball is supposed to move in this offense. And uh, when it's not, it doesn't look great. And that's what happens. At Jake Isenberg, why can't Tatum make layups? But he's been so much better to get to the getting to the rim. Now I will say he's been getting better. In October, he shot 35.5% on shots less than five feet. That's terrible. But in November, he's up to 52%. And in his last five games, he's at 56%. So and I think last year he shot somewhere around 61%. So he's starting to creep back up. Like he's been finishing a little bit better. And uh, I think that storyline can kind of go away. I don't know why he wasn't making them before. Uh, I think he's taking a few more mid-range shots where he's more comfortable. And I think maybe early on he was just continuing to force his way to the rim. And and a lot of shots, I think over the past few games, he's in, instead of just trying to bull his way to the rim and just figure it out, and that's when a lot of those shots were missing, he's, he's taking the opportunity to take a mid-range jumper. Now, I don't like that necessarily, uh, but... Also, if you look beyond the shot, if a team understands that he is willing to take that shot, then they're going to have to step up. And all it takes at that point is a little head and shoulder fake, a little something to get a defender off balance, and then you can get to the rim. So it's almost like when Hayward last year was driving, but all he wanted to do was pass. Once the team figured out that that's all he wanted to do, they played him for the pass and he turned the ball over a bunch. If the if teams know that Tatum is absolutely never going to pull up for mid-range again and he only 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 wants to get to the get to the rim, well then they're going to try to meet him at the rim and give him a lot of uh, resistance. So, while I don't like him taking the mid-range shots, uh if he can start hitting them at a better percentage, then that'll help him get to the rim because teams have to respect the possibility of him doing that. So, but he is shooting better at the rim now, and I'd like to see him keep doing that. Um, we'll see. Okay. We've gotten away from the basketball questions now. We're going to wrap up the podcast with a couple of fun questions. I enjoy these at Max Joel Dillon. What is your favorite away team to visit in terms of stadium and city, and how does it compare to Boston TD Garden? Well, I I love the Barclays Center. 
I think it's, I love it there. I think it's cool. Obviously I used to live in New York city for a little while. Um, I love New York city. I think it's great. It's always something to do. Um, it's so much different than Boston. I know Boston and New York have these rivalries. Um, Boston does not compare to New York and New York does not compare to Boston. They're two totally different cities and I love them both a lot. And, uh, I think Boston should embrace the fact that they're not New York. Like they, I know there's like an inferiority thing that happens sometimes. Um, and that also exacerbated by the sports team rivalry, but, uh, Boston is in its own unique kind of entity and New York can never kind of capture what Boston is not, not even close. And Boston's too small to capture what New York is. New York has, and, and Boston has so many silly rules about because it's small that it doesn't, you can't have certain things in like you can in New York. Uh, New York is big sprawling. You can go from the Northern, Northern part of Manhattan and the Bronx and to all the way down to the most Eastern part of Queens and in Massachusetts, you'll be going through dozens of cities, like multiple cities. Um, in, in New York, you're, you're in one city. Um, and it's just, it's different. And because of that, because you don't have to, um, travel, you don't have to drive. You can take public transportation. You get to do fun things like bars can stay open late and you get to go to brunches where they can have happy hours. Boston, you can't have a happy hour uh, because everybody's going to drive and you can't get everybody drunk and then send them on their way to drive. So it's just different. So I do love, I do love the Barclays Center. Uh, I love the vibe. Uh, it's cool. My, it, but it's not even my favorite city. My favorite city is New Orleans. I just don't like the Smoothie King Center. Like the, it's, it's just a regular arena. There's nothing special to it. But it's my favorite city. New Orleans is by far my favorite city. Um, it's just so much fun. Um, if you've never been to New Orleans, I recommend that you go. You can get stupid if you want and and do touristy Bourbon Street and get crazy drunk. If that's what you want to do, go party. There's a hell of a party down there. You can go and not do that. You can go and experience a lot more culture. There's a lot of culture down there. Um, that you can, the architecture and the, the arts and the music is, you can go do that. The world war two museum is in new Orleans. Uh, the food is amazing. Like you can go down there and not even have a drink and have a fantastic time. Um, but I, I love my favorite thing to do is go to Frenchman street in new Orleans. Uh, I enjoy that very much. The music, uh, again, it's like, I like that. I like, I'm chill. Uh, I enjoy sitting there, having a few drinks, listening to the music, uh, and having a good time. And everybody seems to just be cool, uh, about, uh, everything in new Orleans. I, I love it there. So, um, if the Celtics thing doesn't work out, maybe I can go down and be a Pelicans guy. <laughs> That's, that would be my fallback plan. I hope the Celtics thing works out though. And then finally from Ricardo, a 1618, John, can you please elaborate about the current state of the sports writing slash podcasting industry as a full-time job and the choice you made in your life? Sure. Um, for those of you who don't know, I was working in TV in New York City. I was producing newscasts and uh, doing some feature reporting on air. So it was a pretty good gig. Um, not a lot of people get to work in the number one market and do on-air work in the number one market 
but I it just wasn't for me. So I quit my job and came to Boston to do the sports writing and podcasting full time. Now I ended up getting a job with Mass Alive. So that worked out very well. Full-time job, health benefits, all of that stuff is very great. Uh, the podcast thing is fun. But um, you can, if you want to, and if you have built yourself an audience, uh, there is a path to be your own sports writer and be your own podcaster and make money. Uh, you have to have a, a reputation. I'm you know, happy that I've built a pretty decent reputation is amongst Celtics fans. Um, that allowed me to do some freelance work. I did work at boston.com and the, the blog was very popular. Uh, but the freelance work was a big part of my plan and you can piece together a pretty nice living. Uh, if you can find regular freelance work, freelance work is a little tenuous. You never know when they're going to say, uh, we don't need any more freelancers. So that can go away in a hurry. Uh, it's a lot easier for them to say that than to fire somebody and go through severance or whatever. So, and the podcasting, look, like I've said before, it's, I'm happy to say that the podcast is doing well. Uh, and so that makes a little bit of money too. And by doing that and by freelancing, I, I had a plan that was going to get me by and hopefully grow. And I could have sustained myself by doing that. Now, if for some reason Mass Live decides to go in a different direction and I have to fall back on my own freelancing and Patreon and all that stuff, I can do that and survive and be okay. Um, so that's, that's possible. And for those of you who are trying to make it in this career, this life, uh, that's, that's a path, but it's hard. You have to make sure you have an audience. You have to make sure that you can have that kind of laid out. You have almost like a business plan. You got to make sure you have the money coming in and a backup plan and some savings that helps. But, um, podcasts are, are hot and I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen next in the industry. Podcast, people love podcasts. Uh, I think podcasts have, a. I don't, I think they have longevity because, it's, it's easy. You know, if you're in Boston, you're driving around, you don't like what you're hearing on the radio, pop on a podcast. If you want the Celtics, you maybe listen to me, you listen to somebody else, you want Patriots, whatever you can, you can kind of customize your, your experience. You don't have to listen to a lot of the crap that is happening on sports radio. You find a podcast that you like, then you can kind of just stick with that. And you know that you got a half hour or 45 minutes of content that you like on a daily basis. And that's enough for you to get to work or home from work or whatever. You get a couple of podcasts, you know, you, you piece it together and that, that I think has like staying power. Um, and hopefully people are buying the things that we're selling on the podcast because that helps us make money. You know what I mean? So, um, but sports writing is a, a competitive field. If anybody wants to get into sports writing, be prepared. It's it's a lot like the sports that we cover. I say it all the time. It's limited. People are dying to get in. If I were to leave Mass Live by choice or not by choice, there'd be dozens and dozens and dozens of people that would quickly 
submit their resumes to be, uh, to take my job. And there's only two jobs at mass live covering the Boston Celtics. And if one of them were to open up, there'd be an untold amount of people trying to get in. And that's, that's just part of it. And when somebody leaves a a bigger job, everybody goes flocking to that. I mean, that's, that's just like being on the Celtics. And at some point when you think your job is great, somebody can decide, you know, everything sounds, everything's cool right now. But if one person makes a decision to, to leave and that position, uh, that's somebody who's in a position of power and that person, the new person says, eh, this isn't, this is my cup of tea. Just like a new coach can come in. You could be doing great. You can be playing five years for a team and a new coach comes in and suddenly your style of play isn't what the coach wants to do. And now you're traded or cut or benched. So it's, it's competitive. It's tough. It's, it's not an easy field. Um, so I hope that answers the question, Ricardo. Um, but thanks for asking for that. Um, I'm happy to share my experiences and let people know because it's a tough industry and you know, the more people that get in that are great, the better the industry is. And I'm, I'm all for helping people out. You never knew who the next superstar is going to be. So hopefully it's you. I hope you think I'm superstar enough that you give me a five-star rating and a good review. Uh, that would be nice. I would appreciate that because that helps me keep this show in the, uh, top end of the iTunes rankings. That's a big deal. And so far it's so good. And I'd like to keep it that way. So hopefully you, uh, you do that. And if you are the person I was talking to at the beginning of the show and you're still here and you decide, Hey, I will like to subscribe, please do that. And I would love everybody to share the podcast. Please help me spread the word and tell everybody to listen to Lockdown Celtics Podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Lockdown Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Lockdown Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Lockdown Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.